0: You know, I actually want to tell a, a story about this with Medicare for all, um, because obviously this is sort of Sanders, one of his key issues, but also something that the left has long said is a minim- bare minimum of what we need in this country. We need to start having universal health care. We need to remove the profit motive from the health care system. We need to make sure people are not homeless or bankrupt because they got cancer, which happens all the time. Um, and I mean, Sanders, there was this moment where... Um, In a recent town hall, I think he was having, I forget what state it was, there was a veteran who said, who stood up and said, and it was about healthcare. this conversation that was happening. And he said to Sanders, I owe, it was something like $159,000 in medical debt because of some condition or something. And he said, Bernie, I don't know what I'm going to do. And Bernie said, how are you going to pay for that? And he said, I'm not going to, I think I'm going to kill myself and it was this incredibly you know upsetting terrifying moment sanders immediately said let's talk after you're not going to kill yourself we're going to get this all fixed now i think last week there was a follow up where at another town hall this guy was speaking and he was alongside sanders and he said that sanders had sort of assisted him in getting his congress people to help him with fixing these insurance problems that were keeping him sort of In the crevices of the system and with all of these charges adding up, he got all this public sympathy, of course, for this startling situation and what he said. And so it helped. And he said he basically didn't have to pay anything. He paid some small amount for sort of having been um, not correctly insured, but it was doable. And now he was feeling much better. Right. He didn't have this burden over his head. And it was this feel good story. Right. But that guy just got lucky enough that he happened to be at a, the Sanders Town Hall and that he becomes this viral guy, that he gets his situation sort of resolved in a humane way. And there are millions of people like this in this country. And I bring it up because I have a friend. I had a friend um, a month prior to that town hall where the guy says, I'm going to kill myself because of my medical bills. A 28 year old bartender in Boston, which was where I lived before New York, who killed himself because of medical bills. He'd had emergency surgery and was, again, 28, working class guy, was starting to owe upwards near to $100,000 in medical bills. And he knew it was just going to keep going for the rest of his life. And he was a huge Sanders supporter. He was a socialist and he killed himself. And so I think when people talk about suffering, a lot of times people think we're being sort of like, you know, a bit dramatic as far as the stakes. But I just want to reassure people that like, This is a life or death situation and if you don't know people in these situations, it's probably because you're in an institution like Manhattan or somewhere where you're walled off from what suffering really looks like in this country.
1: This is Michael Moore. This is Rumble, my weekly podcast that I seem to be doing every day, every other day, but that's what we decided to do our first two weeks here during the holidays, just to get into the swing of things, to kick off our big podcast. we come to you as much as we could during these days. Today's guest is the wonderful writer and editor, Alex Press. She uh, is the assistant editor of Jackman Magazine, and she has written for a number of publications, and uh, I think is one of the best um, thinkers, analysts, writers of what's going on uh, politically. I had started off thinking about this podcast today. I was just actually gonna uh, talk to you about a number of things uh, on my mind, and then I learned that uh, she was leaving town and was free. Uh, so I asked her if she'd stop by just to join in with a conversation with me because she's a reporter. She also started to ask me questions, which was great. And in fact, she started by talking about the level of, asking me about the level of fear. We just heard the fire trucks go down the, the street here in New York City. And what is it when we, when whatever that is that, that triggers a sense of <laughs> the doom and gloom that we're all feeling right now and so we started off with her asking me about that and and uh, I think we'll just hop right into it but thanks for tuning in uh today um and uh thanks for being part of this and subscribing uh to this uh, free pro- podcast so here we go with Alex Press I learn things every time I read something that you've written or something that one of your fellow writers have written in Jacobin. and you've also you've also written for uh, the nation and and uh, Washington Post, and uh, you're also, you're a, a member of the DSA, I believe. Is that that's correct? correct. Uh, yeah, that's the Democratic Socialists of America, or it's essentially what you know what Bernie calls himself a Democratic Socialist. I believe he's yet to actually join.
0: Yes, that's is that right. true? The DSA. That's
1: correct. So Bernie, this is Bernie. Uh, everywhere. I, I mean, I've known him since uh, late '80s. Uh, and I went up and did a rally for him when he first ran for Congress. And, and he is truly the guy you're, if you were saying, well, how come he's, he's running as a Democrat and he has never joined the Democratic party? He hasn't even joined the Democratic socialist, the thing that he says that he is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, um, it's why what you see is what you get. With right. him. I don't, I don't, where, where, where do you stand on, on, uh, um, Bernie? I, I, I don't mean to lead off with that question, but I'm just, uh, not I a guess surprising it, question. It's not, it's not, I know. Well, because I'm so like, I, I wasn't really on pins and needles about this election until I don't know when, maybe this week. Um, uh, and maybe it was when I saw the Democrats vote in favor of Trump's space force. Yes what exactly <laughs> I'm like oh so we're gonna get rid of Trump but we're gonna have the space force and we're gonna have all these other awful ideas sure that gave us Trump so I'm just curious where where are you at right now politically with with things
0: with the election so obviously I love Bernie and um, more than Bernie himself I just appreciate having someone who is on the side of the working class right he speaks a language that as a in workplace organizing settings in places where we're trying to reach a mass of people and it's not maybe Harvard or something. You know, Sanders is looking out for that and he's communicating those ideas to the average person, I think. So in that sense, it's much more than just loving Bernie, though I love, you know, his crankiness and his consistency, but just feeling that there's a politician whose goal at least largely overlaps with mine, which is much less about What's he going to do in office per se, but how does what he does in general benefit working class people? How does he build our own power um, so that we can push for even more than he would be able to give us on his own? Um, so in that sense, you know, I that's I one of many reasons I like Sanders. How I'm feeling about the election is actually, I would say at the moment, pretty good. I mean, it's still so early, um, but I think the Sanders campaign is. Continuing to show itself to be quite strong. Um, It's done things that no one else has done that I find particularly important. As a, I write about labor a lot um, and the way Sanders and his campaign have related to striking workers, people who are newly unionizing, um, things, people in right to work states who are trying to repeal right to work, um, Sanders' labor platform. All of these things make me feel good because usually. The election cycle in the United States is such a drain on movements. Right. Right. And I think it still is largely in a lot of ways. But Sanders is making such a point to try to use this incredibly long period of time to build movements instead of drain them and sort of push them into just.
1: Yeah, I think that that piece of this is so important. Um, The movement, because let's face it, if Bernie wins, if Bernie is the next president, of the United States, the things that he and I, you others, want to have happen is not going to just happen. Right. Uh, there will be a massive forces afoot to try and stop him. Sure. Um. And but if he has built a movement during the year twenty twenty during this election year, um, he will have he will take into the Oval Office millions with him. Right millions will feel like that is their office literally not as a cliche or or whatever that is that because it's the only way he will succeed with the having millions of people behind him and doing the work that's going to be needed
0: right to get laws passed exactly and i think it's that he knows that that's the case so it's not just that I believe his rhetoric about the organizer in chief or when he says, not me, us, you know, I believe he means those things. But I think Sanders fundamentally, as someone who comes from a socialist tradition and a democratic socialist background, really understands the obstacles to all of the policies, the ambitious policies, whether it's Medicare for all, whether it's doubling the unionization rate in the United States. There are reasons that these don't happen. And it's not just having the wrong politician in office. It's because you need those millions of people to be with you and pushing you and on your side, but sometimes, you know, maybe even ahead of you and saying, you know, Bernie, come on, let's, let's get a, let's go, going on repealing Taft-Hartley, things like this. Um And so, yeah, I think Sanders is the rare U S politician that feels like we can work with this um, as far as socialists. And um, he's one of us hundred percent. Right, you know? right.
1: Yes. One of us. Um, yes. It's, it's rare that that happens. And, and yet I think too, maybe, and, I, and I'm and i not a cynic, but I've lived long enough now to, um, Bill Clinton was raised by a single mother who was a nurse, third shift nurse in the hospital. Um, Barack Obama was raised by a single mother. They were not raised in wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they take office, well, even before they take office, they pretty much make it clear that they are going to try to lean toward the center as much as they can to not upset the apple cart. Um, and, um, but they'll do it with a heart. And I'm so disappointed now at, at at my age that all this time has passed and we're still not near to the things that we need to have not half measures, you know, um, full measures. And and we've had eight years of a Democrat with Clinton and eight years of a Democrat with Obama. And um, I, I can't take eight years, eight more years of having a Democrat who is, you know, doing good things, but not doing the things that are gonna fix the very reasons why we need to pass these laws or whatever it's, 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 I don't know. Is there something wrong with me? I mean, <laughs> no.
0: It, I mean, first of all, I would say that being born to in poverty or to a working single mother, um, if that were inherently a means towards radical politics or looking out for your class. We'd already be living in a better world. That's the majority of people, so we wouldn't be having this conversation at all, unfortunately, right. Um, right. which
1: you know, of course. Right. Um, what, what would you be doing instead? Pottery? Um, uh,
0: I'd probably be reading a lot more fiction. More, um, more fiction. Yeah, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> I know, I've stopped reading fiction. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to read more novels, <laughs> but it feels almost self-indulgent or like I don't have time because there's so, the stakes are so high, the world is burning. And so
1: every time I. I pick up a novel I want to read, and it's like, and I go. There's a voice in my head saying, "Why are you doing this? There are things to be done right now. You, you need to get up and go to Iowa."
0: Yes, I think I'd go to the gym more too, probably. Yeah. Um, but Michael, I wanted to ask you because you're saying you can't spend another eight years with this disappointment. I mean, you're an interesting character in U.S. politics in that you've been. Now, correct me if you feel this is misrepresenting you, but you've been sort of making the arguments that someone like Sanders makes about the working class and about the typical American for decades and the things we need. I mean, whether it's Sicko or any number of other of your films What's the perspective look like for you from decades of arguing for something that was not the Clinton Democratic Party and being vilified for it? You know, whether it was opposition to the Iraq war or anything else. And now sort of I mean, maybe not everyone agrees with you, but there's certainly a rising number of people that are coming to share a view that you've long advocated.
1: Well, that part feels good. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the fact that the the majority of Americans agree with me on all the things that I've been talking about writing about making movies about for let's see my first uh paper i started was in 76 so what how many years is that now uh
0: a lot and a what lot. A mom- i mean that was i think the exact year that you know unionization started declining right mm. so what a year to be a young leftist getting involved in in
1: flint michigan
0: right of all places right sure.
1: where where uh they were starting to eliminate jobs and close factories and there was no plan uh to fight this um well if like i said it feels i'm happy now here we are entering 2020. Where the majority of Americans uh, uh, support the idea of labor unions, let's start with there. Sure. Even though they don't belong to a union, right? They love the idea of a yes. labor union and wish they did belong to one. That's right. That's a great, great thing. It hasn't it hasn't disappeared. We read all the stories about only ten percent of the workforce or whatever, but it's uh, it, but it doesn't mean that's what's in people's hearts right so i know that so i'm i and all the other things the majority of americans don't believe in a seven dollar and 25 cent minimum wage it should be at least 15 if not 25 sure yeah Uh, most americans believe climate change is real most look at any poll i mean any poll the majority of americans will say women should be paid the same as men uh women are the ones who decide what happens, what they want to do with their reproductive system. You just go on and on, and and the majority of Americans take what you could call the liberal left position. I I really am trying to think of of one of the big one of the big issues that the American people don't. It used to be until just a few years ago, the majority of Americans were in favor of the death penalty. Now it's something like fifty three percent are opposed to it. Sure. So I feel good about that. And and yes, for all those years of being vilified for taking these positions, um, so what? I didn't care really, first sure, of all. Sure, just I always operated, I never gave a shit about what, I mean, I cared about what my family thought or my friends, but even then you've got to do what you've got to do. And I knew people would sooner or later come along because it's so obvious, of course, they're going to, think that it's wrong that you should lose your house if you got sick that's Mm -hmm. just clearly people are going to see that that's wrong and eventually now that's that's why the majority support medicare for all so so this is so i'm that's why i'm not a cynic right i have the optimism of the long the long game here and i've and i've i've been a witness to it you know i'm i'm somebody who I remember the night Martin Luther King was assassinated and and it was the week before Holy Week, before Easter. And um, we were, my family was at mass, I was in eighth grade and we were coming out of, or Catholics, and coming out of church. And um, somebody, some one of the dads had gone to warm up the car and the radio was on and he got up out of his car and stood up on the floorboard outside the car and, and shouted out to everybody coming out of church They've shot Martin Luther
0: King. Wow.
1: And a cheer went up. Oh my God. A cheer. Not everybody. Right. I, in fact, when I look back on it now, maybe a third, that's a loud cheer though. Sure. Of a third of the people coming out of a big Catholic church.
0: And to be able to do it in front of your community and know that
1: that's that'll okay. be acceptable. Yeah, but they yeah. did it in front of me. Right. They did it in front of an eighth grader mm-hmm. who was was so confused by what are these adults cheering? A man has just been shot. You are just coming out of mass. <laughs> I was I was, so, I was so upset, and that next uh, week or so, I told my parents that, um, I want to leave home. I'm four, 14 years old. Wow, I want to leave home and I want to go to the seminary. I want to be a Catholic priest. Like that's all I could think of doing at that point. It was the only way to turn these Catholics around. <laughs> sure. <laughs> was to go to the seminary, be a priest, to come back and uh, straighten their heads out. Um, that's incredible. So, so, but that's what I'm saying. That's yeah. it's been that long for right. me. But I've also had the 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 privilege of working with so many different good groups of people in Flint and in New York and elsewhere over the years. You know, um, I got to meet Rosa Parks. How would I meet Rosa Parks? Just walking in to the congressman's office in Detroit. She's the receptionist. Wow. You, you, you would walk in the door of, uh-huh. of Representative Conyers' office, and there was Rosa Parks answering the phone. And um, she and her husband had moved to Detroit just a couple of years after the, the bus boycott in Montgomery because uh, the death threats and the. Sure. They didn't think they were going to live. Um, and so Detroit uh, was a safe, a safe city. Right. And, uh, but I'm just saying that that my conversations with people over the years like her and others I've been fortunate enough to meet, I think help form a different sort of person. Sure. I don't have a good answer to your question.
0: I mean, but. it's also the the sort of more pessimistic or bleak outlook on this is that, at least from the perspective of the socialist left, for example, People are changing their attitudes towards all these things that we just listed, whether it's Medicare for all or unions, that you shouldn't lose your house when you get sick, things like that. But it's not necessarily because the left has grown and made those arguments convincingly, though now that's starting to happen in in the past couple of years and certainly since 2016. I think a lot more of it has to do with how much worse people's lives have gotten and this sort of sense that right. everybody's experiencing how horrible whether it's the healthcare system or what it means to be sold a subprime mortgage and then be completely have all of your stability and safety and shelter taken out from under you whether it's student debt so The more the more depressing version of this, right, would be that people like you and me haven't necessarily convinced more people. It's that people are coming to these conclusions themselves and sort of the economy is doing this work for us. And now if that were enough for us to for these policies to be implemented, that would be great. But we know it's not right. And so this is sort of this to me and I think to a lot of people, whether it's the Sanders campaign or, you know, people who organize around climate change or unions. It feels like this moment of really high stakes because people's lives have, you know, radicalized them. And can we help organize working-class people to take power over their own lives, or can right. we not? Is it going to be too late? So well, I feel, yeah. I mean, this is the. There's a flip side to this coin of people's ideas changing.
1: Yeah, and how sad the way you describe that though. That that we've gotten the majority of Americans essentially on our side on these issues only because they had to suffer right. as a result of this. They had to lose their home. Sure. They had to lose their job and then have to take a lesser job. Or or like in the case of the the General Motors going bankrupt, being taken over by the US government and then being being having a good paying job beforehand and now not having a good paying job and I mean, people there are people in there working for well at that time when when Obama took it over. Um and they were th- the thing they worked out was that there'd be a second tier of employees that would be paid 10 to 10 to $15 an hour. Um, and boy, that's a, that was a real shock. And, um, um, and yes, at that point, if you weren't in favor of a living wage, you were at that point, if you weren't, if you hadn't been thinking about, yeah, why does college cost so much? You did start to think about it. And, um, but it's sad that that, that the left um, wasn't able to be more successful sure. in communicating what seems to me a very powerful and profound message, and yet, um, you know, I don't. I know a lot of people. I know all the leaders. I know the people that sure. tried over the years. Yeah, but it's got to seem to people. I would assume you're probably a millennial if you that's don't mind correct. me saying that <laughs> yes, word. Okay. I am.
0: I do mind. No, that's <laughs> okay. it's, it's a category I am of it.
1: So yeah, so okay. it, it, it. But, but what I have seen, whether it's you in, in Jacobin or uh, current affairs or uh, all the different groups, and I take these groups, right. I'm talking about high school students, what's sure. happening with climate change, the Parkland uh, students, et cetera, et cetera there is a lot of energy and a lot of movement and a lot of good thinking and a lot of of okay we've waited long enough you know uh thank you boomers Right or okay? What's the term? Okay, Okay, boomer. Okay, boomer. Yes, (laughs) we've heard enough. Thank you. Uh, Enjoy your pension. Something we don't even know what that is, but we heard that it was a thing.
0: Right. I was going to say actually. I mean, so I was at Sanders's um, rally in Queens a few months ago that you spoke at, and I found that you mentioned this line about. It's it's actually not bad that Sanders is old because he remembers, you know, things like a living wage. He remembers what a pension is. <laughs> right. And I did at that moment think, you know, how many of my friends, you know, of my generation actually could define pen- what a pension is. I don't know. Not that many. I'm sure. I imagine right. my brother couldn't. You know, I imagine right. a lot of people couldn't. Um. And so it was a, it was a good argument to make in that. I mean, this is sort of how Sanders this is one strength of his is that he's been around since you know there was an organized left and there was a different way of being and i think you know in certain ways corbin was very similar as far as why he was so he's so radical on these views yes is that they sort of are these lone remnants from a time that you know the left really was challenging power
1: how is it then that young people see that though because um you didn't live during those times of all that activism Yet, yet the, the poll last week, the, uh, they did a poll, the Quinnipiac, um, of how 18 to 35-year-olds were feeling about the election. 52% for Bernie Sanders. Whoever was in second place was like 30 points less than that. And the one millennial running, you know, is, is uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Right. And he got 2% in the poll. <laughs> of yes. millennials, of, of people. I'm talking, wow, they don't even want their own. They, the youngest voters want the oldest guy. It, it's like, explain.
0: Well, isn't it? I mean, this is true about identity in general, right? Is that while identity is a sort of socially constructed category, that is a way that sort of, you know, summarizes shared experiences, right? So young people in the United States, millennials say, often will have shared experiences about college debt or healthcare emergencies, things like that. Women generally might have shared experiences around sexism or violence, but it's not, you know, it's it's a sort of placeholder. Right. It's not a defining trait. And so I think when you see something like how incredibly unpopular Mayor Pete is to young people, it's because no one's fooled. I mean, the shared experiences and the shared ideas that come from those experiences that people want that are young, whether it's free college or things, he is not advocating for those things. And so he is a representative of an entirely different both class, but also even in, in these generational terms, he's advocating for things that our generation doesn't seem to want at such a, you know. And his age doesn't really matter. I think it's a useful corrective to this simplistic idea that there's a generational warfare going on or something like that. No, it's about ideas and right. it's about policies that right. we want.
1: The, the awful New York times, uh, when they did their first story on Bernie, this is back in 2015. Mm-hmm. He announced in, I think April of 2015 that he's going to run. Sure. Less than a month later, the times did a front page story that said, um, Uh, uh, it was like a profile on Bernie and they were following him on the campaign trail Uh, and it said um, Bernie Sanders is a hit um, with one particular age group, his own. Oh, wow. And the whole story was about how he only appealed to 75 to 95 year olds. It was so off the mark. Right. You know, and... Uh, I always want to, I always like to point it out because I just, I really look, we need the New York times. I don't want them to fail. Uh,
0: <laughs> Much <laughs> respect to the New York times. Um, but, though We may be on different sides of many, yes. many fights,
1: but yes, having said that, um, please, if you're reading that paper as a, as a, for guideposts, don't follow that road because I can give you so many other examples. Sure. Obviously what led us into the iraq war yes bush invaded yes. iraq but what gave him the authority to do that was the most so-called liberal paper in the right. country got behind the war with stories from a reporter that weren't true and <clears throat> um and i blame them i blame the times as much for the iraq war as i do george w bush
0: i think as you should quite rightly
1: Actually, okay, then I'll blame them more than Bush, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> okay, go for because, it, yes. Because I would expect Bush
0: right. to exactly. do that. Sure.
1: I, I hold the times to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't have done what they did. And not just them. Uh, David Remnick of The New Yorker, in his editorial a few mm-hmm. weeks before the Iraq War, endorsing the Iraq War. These so-called liberal institutions that led us into that war. 29 Democratic U.S. senators voting in favor of the Iraq War. Alex, I mean, I just, um, uh, it's hard to sort of (laughs) maintain. Sure. And the vilification that you referred to to me uh, to when I won the Oscar four nights into the Iraq war and gave that speech from the stage and was booed off the stage by-
0: It's an incredible video.
1: Yes, by Hollywood. Yes. You know, um, man, I was alone. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really alone because- a month before, there were a million people in the streets right. against the war. So I knew I wasn't alone in that sense. But Bush had a 70% approval rating, as did the war. Sure. And, you know, I don't know.
0: I, I mean, I think you when you say you describe the New York Times or the New Yorker, both of those certainly fit into this um, as liberal institutions. I mean, I think this is a key distinction that a lot of people don't really think about because the language of a left beyond liberalism has been is still largely unknown. I mean, Sanders helps. The rise of a socialist left helps with people hearing about the, you know, left proper, the actual sort of anti-capitalist left. But there's a distinction between the left and liberals. It's not just that it's a continuum. There are actually different projects there and there are different values. And so this is, you know, sort of a sociology of media 101 thing to say. But The New York Times exists not in a simplistic sort of conspiratorial way to reify capitalist power or imperialism. But there is something to be said about, you know, the institution, how it recreates itself, the advertising, the access it needs, these things that make it not just sort of to our right, but actually a bit counterposed to our goals. Right. And so in that sense, not following the goalposts that The New York Times lays out, I think, is a really important thing to say, that it's not just that they might get it a little wrong, but actually they might have a fundamentally different goal and set of values than people right. on the left.
1: Yeah, I don't think it. I don't think they get it wrong just because. Well, we meant well. <laughs> you know, right. They're like, not.
0: I mean, they're very uh, smart people, and so very, they know what they're very doing. Very
1: smart people. They know exactly what they are doing, and they know they're very much in touch with and in support of the values that they have. The values, and uh, whether it's regarding profit. Uh, whether it's regarding a system that benefits um, them sure. and the few of them that are up there, uh, and not the rest, I think all of that. But I don't want to just pick on the times. I think sure, that this course. is a lot of a lot of what we're going to be up against. Um, uh, should Bernie win, and I think that there is an excellent chance of this happening. Maybe that's why I've been on kind of pins and needles lately. Because it kind of, I don't know when it what day it happened, but I really realized, oh wow. There is, a way, there is a way that this is gonna happen. That it's it's actually quite possible now. I can see people who are working on the ground in New Hampshire and Iowa and um, Nevada. Right. That uh, it's very, very possible he could win. Right. Um, and whatever he doesn't win, including South Carolina, he'll come in second. It'll be very clear that... He has the most loyal uh, people that support him. They 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 don't really have a second choice when they ask Bernie voters, who's your second choice? Mm -hmm. Many will say Warren, uh, but that's about it. It it drops right there. Okay. Um, so
0: I think Biden even gets a lot just out of name recognition. But I think you're right about the loyalty of that first choice. Sure.
1: But you know Biden, I've met him a few times. Mm -hmm. He's
0: not—he's not a bad guy. I mean, really. Okay, I will. I'm not going to agree with you. I don't. I don't don't mean politically.
1: I mean just. I mean just. (laughs) Just. I think the. I think just this is probably more the. You know, actually, the first time I met him, Mm -hmm. he came in the room and he saw me there, and he goes motherfucker. He was he just started swearing. Really? Wow, it's so great to meet you and, you know, slaps me on the back. He didn't smell my hair or anything, but you know, he was Sure. He was I'm like, I can't believe he is swearing and dropping F-bombs.
0: Uh-huh. Where uh, was
1: this? When was this? This was in Boston at the arena during the Democratic Convention of 2004. Okay. And and I was in this in this kind of room. Uh, Jimmy Carter had sent his um, his daughter or his son to find me, to mm-hmm. ask me to please sit with him in his like presidential box at the convention. Okay. And I was like, what? And, um, you know, so I, I said, oh yeah, sure, okay. You know, and I'm like, because I don't, I'm very uncomfortable being around that kind of thing. Sure. You know? and i'm there i'm there doing some filming and you know whatever and so i was just kind of standing there waiting to for president carter to show up and then biden came in and was all you know uh, overly excited uh, to to see me
0: interesting yeah he's not he's not really a guarded guy it seems like as no, far as what no, he says no or filters. does and right. then
1: he, and then he knew what to talk to me about so it was all about working class mm. labor unions it was about
0: unions okay. yes oh
1: yeah oh yeah just you know flint yeah, got, Fli- of course of flint. course <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to say detroit right after sure. that. sure <clears throat> so um but um anybody i think who's thinking of voting uh for him uh, you're guaranteeing turning the clock back and stopping any progress and and and, and I don't. I don't. I'm, I always try to think of a kind way to say this, but mm-hmm. if you are supporting the centrist, moderate, candidates uh, in the Democratic primaries, um, you are supporting a system that gave us Trump. Yes, that's right. It is right, right. Mm-hmm. And and people will go, oh, come on, they're not. Tr-. No, I said no, they're not Trump. I'm saying that Trump didn't fall out of the sky. Sure. And that we we had this system set up. Uh, to where the the you know I always have said that there's there are these uh, there, the two parties we have are really one party mm-hmm. and one of those parties has a kinder face sure and has you know a heart in that sense but it's the heart uh, that uh, which was the char- which character on the Wizard of Oz? Uh, was
0: oh, the- that didn't have the heart.
1: It didn't have the heart. Wait a minute. The, was it the-, the
0: Cowardly Lion?
1: No. He just he wanted courage.
0: He needed courage, of course.
1: Right. And is it then- the Tin
0: Man? Oh my God. Okay. The yes, Tin Man it was. needed the
1: heart. Now, who's the who's the third one?
0: You really are clearly a filmmaker, Michael.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, no, this is one of the most popular films of all time, and now the the three characters are uh, the Straw Man needed a brain. That's it. There you go. There there you go. Right. Yeah. It should be noted that the sound engineer sitting over there
0: (laughs) is helping
1: us (laughs) was giving me the crib sheet. Yes. But um, while I can appreciate Biden when he met me, giving me all that love and F bombs, Mm -hmm. um, uh, I know that uh, he and Buttigieg um, and are there most of the centrists are are falling off and have gone Pretty much, right? Uh,
0: I hope so. I mean, most of them are falling off, but yeah. yeah, definitely Biden and Pete are still in the running.
1: So, what's the deal with Elizabeth Warren? You know, I mean, I yeah. I have put her in two of my films. Okay, I first discovered what are the her, two films that she's uh, in: sicko and *Capitalism: A Love Story*. Okay, and I had heard of her at Harvard back around two thousand five, and I think the first time we interviewed her was in two thousand six. Um. Not the same person that you see. If you go back and look at, and there's some on the DVD extras for Sickle, you'll see a different sort of Elizabeth Warren mm-hmm. uh, from right now. Um, Bernie asked me to appear with him, and her, and uh, and I think it was an NYU or New School professor. I forgot who it was. It was it was a panel in DC about a year and a half ago, and you know I wanted to go up and talk to her and her people like formed a wall like really? they would not let me like have any kind of conversation with her or anything and then when the debate well, not the debate but the panel is over instead of us all exiting the stage that we came in they whisked her off off the, off the stage to the other on the away from me that's incredible it was really I know it was like well, first, I feel he's worried. I am just a human. Sure,
0: <laughs> sure. But that seems, I mean, even yeah. from her own self-interest, that doesn't seem like, a. I mean, you're, no offense, Michael, but you're not the most wild radical of all time. I mean, you're not no, a I'm, bomb-throwing anarchist, so I'm right. not sure why she can't talk to you.
1: Right, and I can, it just, but then, you know, we talked about it later, and and, uh, and you know, I asked some of Bernie's people, what was that about? And they said, yeah, um, well, you know, here's the cool thing about Bernie. He will not say a bad word um, about uh, like Elizabeth Warren or anybody He's that he wants the whole focus on the issues sure. and where we're leading this country. And I, I have great admiration uh, for him for that. But mm-hmm. I, I, I've just been thinking that maybe I need to be a little less quiet about how I'm feeling about Elizabeth Warren and Part of my sensitivity, I think, is also we've already elected our first woman president. Uh, She won by three million votes. And because we don't have a true democracy in terms of our electoral system, Mm -hmm. uh, that woman uh, did not uh, become president. Um, I could make a case that that I can kind of, I have a feeling I know what her presidency would have looked like, and none of us would have been very happy yes um, about it right i'll just go on the record and say that but <clears throat> so i understand why a lot of people i know like elizabeth warren and when i say people it's a euphemism for women um who feel very shafted by uh what happened in the 2016 election mm-hmm. election um i had the scene in my last movie i took it out it was just so painful to watch this 90 year old woman it's probably her last election, went to sleep early when everybody was saying that Hillary was gonna be the president. She wakes up to the news and her granddaughters, I think are they have their phones on, they're filming her telling as they tell her
0: oh my God.
1: that uh, Donald Trump is the president. She wakes up to that news and the look on her face and the tremble that this is how she was gonna leave our world with this. Sure, It was heartbreaking.
0: Of course. And i I mean, I'm a young woman. I understand this desire for, you know, this sort of sense of not only that representation matters, but that it's a fundamental sort of marker of the equality or lack thereof of a society if their leaders are not sort of representative of the population at large. That said, I mean, there's two things about Warren and Sanders and their differences. One is that, you know, Women like, there are more women who like Sanders than there are men. I mean, this is not, if we're asking what do women want, of course, anecdotally, you and I both, I'm sure, know many women who love Warren for these reasons. But I mean, just objectively, it's not the case that women want Warren. I think women are, you know, a giant group that's half the population. They're internally divided like any other identity. And a lot of, especially young women, want Sanders and they want Sanders because he, Again, now, that some people might argue with this, and Warren certainly has plenty of decent policies as far as dealing with feminist issues or women's issues, rights in the workplace, things like that. But Sanders has long been sort of an advocate in a way that people can, like me trust him on these issues. So as far as what's best for women, um, if you're afraid to criticize Warren on the basis that you think Sanders is a better candidate... Um, I don't think you need to have this sensitivity because, again, Sanders himself cares about the issues. And I think we should all, you know, be able to talk about really who do we think is going to serve women's interests the best, working class people's interests the best, who has the vision to get there. And if you have had experience with Warren personally, I mean, sounds like you've, you've also met Biden. Obviously, you and Sanders go way far back. Yours is an important voice that can give people insight, especially when we're talking about. A sense of, you know, politicians are people that they're almost black boxes to most of us. Right. We don't actually know what they're thinking. We only have their records to go by. So if you can tell us and tell people about really what you think these people will do when in power and what they fundamentally believe and how they act when the cameras are off. I mean, I think that's a valuable thing and it's important to do. Thank goodness you don't care about being. Uh, speaking your mind and saying difficult things. And so I think that's an admirable trait and you should be honest about how you're feeling.
1: I really appreciate you saying that because I, um, you're you're right. I've been given a certain, um, whether it's luck or a privilege or whatever, of whoever it was that let me behind the curtain, not to make another wizard of Oz. <laughs>
0: This is now a Wizard of Oz podcast. I
1: I think that's the title of this uh, this podcast. Yes, sure. Because, um, but I have been given a look and I have seen things that the public hasn't seen Mm -hmm. on a variety of levels. Um, And uh, in this particular case with uh, Biden, uh, with Warren, Bernie, um, I've not met Buttigieg, but his husband, uh grew up just down the street from where I now live in Michigan. Oh, okay. Uh, in Traverse City, Michigan. Um. So I hear from everybody who went to high school with them. And, of course, sure. And all this.
0: I'm sure the rumor mill flies <laughs> endlessly with these candidates. Yes. Well,
1: they're all very, they're very proud. Of, yeah, um, of course. It's awesome. But they, they, listen, they, here's the, but you, I was just processing uh, what you were saying and thinking, um, now is not the time to hold back. Um, and and uh, the chips have to fall where they have to fall because we're out of time. And when I hear you ask me that question, when I hear you politely um, implore that I be completely honest with what I know, mm-hmm. that really all you do know is are the boxes that show what they voted for right. on the, on the, in the House or the Senate or um, what they um you know what you've read in the paper what you see on tv uh so i'm so i'm just going to without any thought okay. having been put into this just tell you what i think wonderful putting you on the spot here and no i'm glad to be put on the spot because and i here's what i felt while you were saying this i'm i'm looking at you and um uh, uh you are of a generation that is younger uh, than me that is correct. Yes.
0: <laughs> and <laughs> You're not going out on a limb on this one. Okay, yes. good.
1: And it's maybe safe to say, um, though I don't believe this either, because I think the calamity and the collapse is upon us. So a lot of, a lot of boomers um, think that, well, we'll make it to the end of our lives, but we won't suffer mm-hmm. uh, the indignity of what planet Earth is going to do to this species. Sure. But you will. Alex and Mm -hmm. and people, the high school students who are next now going, you know, they're the generation that's coming up behind you. Uh, They may not even live to see that moment of the calamity and the collapse. Right. Um,
0: Right. I think we probably agree that. I mean, the reality is that certainly elderly people in the United States are suffering immensely already from whether it's economic crisis in this country, whether it's climate change around the world. So yes, totally agree. The pension
1: that has been taken from them.
0: Right, yes. But yes, I know what you mean. That It seems that if action is not taken in a radical direction, then my time when I'm your age is going to look a lot bleaker.
1: But you asking me to share what I've witnessed, privately witnessed. Um, I look at that. I look at that here. There is no time to waste is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. There's no time to put it off. There's no right time to just say the truth because we're out of time. And this election, this election that's coming up, this is it. I've lived long enough though, also to have heard that line.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, of all people, <laughs> for, for, don't for, you know how this argument gets used, Michael?
1: Yes, every time. This is what they say. Yes. But but, but, but the truth of this, I truly believe um, we will not have a moment uh, again in my lifetime mm-hmm. to vote for a bernie sanders sure who is going to fight for these very things that are going to try to give people of your generation a future uh you know i was on uh chris Hazer the other night and and i just blurted out and i said you know look who's doing that bernie's the one Trying to, that's why the young people want him because he's he's spent all his time on their future. He has no future. Whatever he's fighting for, he will not be the beneficiary of. Right. Because he will not, he's in the last quarter of his life. Mm -hmm. So he's doing this in a selfless way for people who are are going to have to suffer. It's so moving when Mm -hmm. you just think of it that way. And there is no time. There's well, we don't win this time. We'll get the next, uh, you know, um, uh, Bernie. Well, maybe and maybe not. Sure. Um. So, so, so now I've put off long enough. Yeah. So in
0: that light, (laughs) the (laughs) audience (laughs) is waiting. So, what are your real Mm. thoughts about Sanders and about Warren?
1: And well, and Biden. Let's start with. Let's start with Biden. Sure. Um, uh, Biden. Um. He will say uh, he is for workers. Yes. And he will have enough photo opportunities to prove that he is for workers, but ultimately what he has done, what he has voted for, but what he, more importantly, what he hasn't fought for, fought are workers for the working class. Mm-hmm. The only way that we can survive is if people who choose to be leaders lead and fight for the things. And he and, and the, the former DLC portion of the Democratic Party, the Clintons, all of this has been to keep us down, to keep us at bay, um, and to take the fight out of us. And I'm angry about it. Sure. And I'm sorry that so much time was lost. Um, people were stunned in Fahrenheit 11.9, my last movie, that I would show Obama drinking the water in Flint.
0: It was an amazing scene, that to, scene.
1: To tell people it's okay right. to drink the water mm-hmm. and the people in the gymnasium mostly African American feeling like a knife was being put through their heart. They couldn't believe what they were watching. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, of course everybody found out later that they brought the water from Air Force 1. Right. And and he wasn't there that no secret service is going to allow him to drink poisoned water. Sure. Come on. And, and it was just so stunning. This is a black city. That this man, our first black president, would do this. Would tell fellow African Americans, it's okay folks, drink the water. I got fed up a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And I've tried to do my best with my films. I've tried to present them with a certain sometimes sense of humor to make the medicine go down a little easier. Uh, but in the end that doesn't cut it. And, and Elizabeth Warren, the fact that she can't even explain what Medicare for all is. I loved her when she right away, right away supported Bernie. She defended Bernie at that first debate. Bernie's right. She said, I'm for what Bernie's for. Wow. Good for you. And then when they asked her what it was and how it would be paid for. Right. She couldn't answer it. And then had four different answers over the next four weeks. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you have hurt the cause more than any Republican. Wow. By what you've just done.
0: Muddying the definition so that all of a sudden it starts slipping to me. Correct.
1: Yeah with an American public that has, through all the polls, shown that they want some form of universal health care, where they never have to worry about, you know, losing their livelihood as a result of it. Mm-hmm. And that you couldn't do that was absolutely stunning. That you would admit that you voted for uh, Republicans till 1996, that Ronald Reagan was okay with you, that George Bush I was okay with you. Right. Are you serious? Sure.
0: And I mean, my view on this stuff is it's one thing, I mean, you and I both, I think, agree about this, that people can change and that you certainly whenever I meet someone who is not already to the left, my goal is to sort of explain that they deserve more than they're getting and to change their views, whether they're a liberal or a conservative. I want them to become someone who's fighting for their class interests yes. and I want them to become a socialist, ideally. Um it's very different as far as how we evaluate people if they are public figures and they're representing people. And so I think for Warren to to sort of be trying to claim um, a mantle of the left and to want the incredible responsibility of the presidency of the country that you know determines not just our population's lives, but lives around the world, I think you get to evaluate people based on their entire History And it is hard to believe um, someone was voting for Reagan, um, who's very well educated, was very aware of what she was doing um, by being a conservative. So it's to me, certainly it's fair game to ask those questions. Now, I mean, in recent interviews, she's getting asked about this more, um, which I think is very fair. Um, But. I mean, the anger of what those policies meant, whether it was in the United States, what Reagan was passing or it's, you know, U.S. intervention elsewhere. I mean, you're right to be angry about it.
1: And, and in her case, very disappointed mm-hmm. um, um, because at some point she had an epiphany and she figured out that the income inequality in this country wasn't good for the country. Mm-hmm. and and that she was going to do work at Harvard to sort of study this and show people why we had to fix things but when she became part of the obama administration and when that administration essentially took over general motors they only took it over like we said to uh, to sort of to really just give it back not to fix not to fix what the core problem is which is the profit motive right and I was just, geez, if I were president <laughs> and I suddenly I became the de facto CEO of General Motors, this is what I would say I'm going to do. Um, we're going to keep these factories open. People are going to have jobs, but this is, this is what you're going to work on. Um, bullet trains, uh, light rail, um, <clears throat> uh, 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 a low, low polluting bus system excuse me Um, you're I'm going to have you build transportation general Motors is going to build transportation for the 21st of the 22nd century because I'm going to tell you this right now this is my presidential
0: right this is your state of the union
1: that um, the internal combustion engine which is how a car runs will not exist by the end of this century so why wait why wait to end it 50 years or 40 years from now when we could end it now and help us save the planet?
0: Well, here's a proposition for you and you might disagree, you might not agree with me on it. But I mean, again, I think Warren is in the same way when we were talking about the New York Times, a good illustration of what well-meaning liberalism and progressivism is, is not identical. It's not just to the right of socialist politics. It is fundamentally different. I mean, people, I don't care so much about rhetoric, but when, you know, when um, Warren says she's a capitalist and Sanders won't say that, I mean, they're reflecting a difference in their understanding of how change happens and their goals. I mean, the GM um, takeover is a really interesting one because GM just had a huge strike. The UAW workers, um, a nationwide strike. It lasted quite a while. Um, they won a lot of what they wanted. They didn't win some of what they wanted, particularly the two tiers that you mentioned Um While there's now a path to transition to bump up those in the lower tier, um, it's still much longer timeline than workers deserve and demanded and wanted. Um, Now, it's interesting because while they had a pretty successful strike, there was only so much they could do within the framework of the capitalist system, within the framework of liberal democracy, right? They can't take ownership of these factories if GM says you know what? Fine. You can have your higher pay, but we're moving these factories in five years. The workers can't do anything about it, right? Because they don't own that property. It's not theirs. They don't have the right to it. It's the same thing with what's produced in those plants. I mean, GM has, I think, in the contract agreed to chain, to make one factory environmentally sort of friendly vehicles. What if the workers had the right if and the state was backing them up to say, no, we know what we need in this world. And what we need is no more of these polluting vehicles. What we need is environmentally friendly um, transportation. We want to start building other things. And they had the right to force that because it's what the public wanted. They don't have that because they don't own that property. And I think this is a good example of, of really what the difference in understanding of the goal and how we get there and what's necessary is between, whether it's a Sanders or a Warren, or it's the socialist left writ large and maybe the mainstream of the Democratic Party. But there's just limitations in place Um, And so it's no surprise that when liberals are taking over GM to help bail it out, that they're not going to hand over ownership to the workers. That's not their goal. That's not how they see change happening. That's not they don't think workers need to make those changes themselves. So the challenge to you really is that you're making this speech about what you would do as president. But I would say that it wouldn't be about what you want. It would be that you understand the workers themselves need to be able to make those choices. They need to have the right to do what's societally most useful, right? And they and, would know how to make those changes.
1: Yes, workers and other stakeholders. Yes, sure. Uh, because you and I are breathing the air yeah. from those cars. Right. So, but if the people- Yes. Owned it, run, ran it, controlled it, um, we would all be better off. Now that sounds like some scary stuff to- to the older people, sure, uh, because they just think the Soviet Union, and you know that you can't get really any farther with them after that. Uh, what's the government doing building cars? It's not the job of government. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, government built the interstate highway system. Um, so it actually is the job of government to get you and me from one place to the other if we want to go there, if we need to go there, whether it's for work, whether it's to be with family, whether it's just to see the country. I mean, I hope in my lifetime that we get to a point where we see those factories in Detroit or Flint or Milwaukee or wherever they are. Um, these, are these are not natural resources, but national resources. Right. And that when GM says, well, if we don't get our way, we're just gonna, we're gonna go to Brazil. And we have to be able to say, nah, no, sorry. In the same way that you're not allowed to remove gold that are in gold mines in this country, out of the country, you know, anybody, if you've flown anywhere, you always have to mark that box. Right. Are you you taking more than $10,000 in cash? I know because I mark it every time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And um, um, you mark the box saying that you are removing. Of course, yes, sure, of course. yeah, yes. Because if you have a if you have a phone that has what's the the, the thing where you can just tra- send cash over uh, to the sound engineer right now if you just Venmo, pull that- yes, Venmo. <laughs> <if> you-, <laughs> you have to. It's you- true. You have a, either you either have a real ten thousand or a fake ten thousand somewhere uh, in your pocket. So, but these we should be able to say uh, to a General Motors, no, you just can't do that. Because you know why? It will destroy the lives of tens of thousands of people. And we, the government, we, the people, have a vested interest in making sure that you do not hurt our fellow citizens. Mm -hmm. So, sorry. Well, the way to get, but who are they saying sorry to? Is there a General Motors? In the future, if we are to survive, if the planet is to survive, is there a private corporation called General Motors that gets to make these decisions. You know, ultimately, I think we know what the future has to look like. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't involve a system like that. Right. Um, you know, well, Mike, don't you want to be able to go down and buy a loaf of bread? It's, I said, but aren't we smart enough to figure out a way to restructure this? Sure. So that that everybody, everybody gets that loaf of bread, Um, everybody pitches in uh, to do what they can do. Everybody pays the taxes that they are able to pay. And those who are able to pay more should pay a lot more. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can, we can sort of restructure our system in a way that um, uh, people will have their individual freedoms, obviously. And, Mm -hmm. and yet I don't call this a free society when 40 plus million people are living in poverty. Right. What is free about that? Right. And how can I claim, because I'm not one of them, how do I get to claim that I'm free when I have to, I'm sharing this country with tens of millions of people who are being pummeled and brutalized economically, socially, culturally, racially, et cetera.
0: And this also applies, I mean, for speaking as two residents of the United States, I mean, We have to think about even if technically the population of Americans is just within our borders. I mean, the United States has control of much of the world as far as what they're doing in other countries, the harm being inflicted and stuff, the resources being extracted. And so I think just to amplify your point, I mean, to say that you are free or I am free because me and you can maybe get a cup of coffee after this podcast I think really is, yeah, is um, a willful ignorance of really what the world looks like and how it operates now. Um, I mean, it's the same thing for the term democracy, right? In the United States, this is the big thing. We're the democracy. We invade other countries to democratize them. Now, that's quite a sentence in itself. Um, But whether it's sort of attacks on voting rights or it's the absolute dictatorship of the workplace and the boss in the workplace that workers lose they. You know, you surrender your rights, your right to free speech, your right to all sorts of things, the moment you walk onto the factory floor or, you know, the, the office building, so on. Um, and so it's really selective definitions of these terms that are being used. And I think the socialist left often has, especially in the United States, has a strong tradition of saying, you know what? We believe in democracy, and we want to extend it to economic democracy. We want to extend it so that, Women have democratic control over their bodies, right? We want things like that. We want freedom, but we want substantial freedom. We want people to be free of the concerns that are the daily sort of life and death um, issues, like healthcare, housing, shelter, food, um, public school, childcare. Once you're once you have those taken care of, then you're really you can be free at a level of creativity and fulfillment, and you can do so knowing that your fellow brother and sister also have freedom. And so I think, yeah, whether it's reclaiming those terms and actually arguing for a more substantial version of them, or it's something different entirely, whether we're using the word socialism, I mean, I think this is the argument to make. And I mean, again, Sanders does a good job of it, sort of pointing out that we don't have freedom, we don't have democracy in this moment. And it's why I'm very proud of the socialist tradition of being able to really advocate for those terms in substance and not just rhetoric.
1: What would our country look like Hmm. if you let it?
0: Well, I'm the last person to answer that because I'm dogmatically of the opinion that it's not about the right leader. It's about do the average does the average person does the working class have the power over their own lives to make those decisions. Right. So So you're
1: already part of that movement.
0: I am part of that movement. And I mean, the thing about Sanders is I believe he really is as well. Um, So he knows that it's not just about him. But again, I mean, certainly I'm the most sort of familiar and aware of how he views the labor movement. And he his vision of this is that he can't grant people rights. I mean, he has a very ambitious platform around labor, but it's about empowering people to make those choices themselves. It is about lowering the obstacles to unionization. It's about actually enforcing workplace safety, workplace um, rights, such as not being fired for unionizing, which Currently, about one in five people organizing their workplace will end up being fired for it, um, even though that's illegal. So it's about actually saying, I need to empower this class of people to take control over their own lives. And that's democracy and that's freedom. And I'm just here to facilitate that. Um, So
1: that's what you see your job.
0: That's what I I see. That's what I would, I mean, I would never, ever want to run for office because I'm so committed to that that I just couldn't imagine doing it. But it's why I like Sanders, because he voices that vision, right?
1: Yes, but even he, he would never, I've never heard him use the word leader or Mm -hmm. that, you know, make me your leader. And I will take you.
0: It is hard to picture. Even I can't do the impression. Can you do a good Sanders?
1: I I don't do I don't I don't do a good Bernie. Okay. Basil over there does an excellent got uh, it. Bernie, but uh,
0: but yeah, it's hard to picture his voice saying, "Make me your leader." Yeah, you know?
1: <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> make me, make me your leader. <laughs> it's like I, you know, it's just so wrong. Right. Because because and maybe this is the way to if I. Um, Maybe this is the way to victory next November. Is that people listening to us right now, and people that you and I will speak to through our work and whatever in the coming year, will understand that what we're asking them to do is to elect a movement. Mm-hmm. That's really what we're voting for. We're really voting for each other. Um, uh, Bernie is our not just a placeholder. Sure. <laughs> um, you know, but somebody has to put turn the light switch on. Yeah somebody has to crank up the machine. That will be Bernie's job. He will be there to serve us. Mm -hmm. We are not there, we we won't be there to serve him. And and he will, I just think he will blow open the doors um, to the movement of the people. And especially the people who are the working class that truly keep this country somewhat afloat.
0: Yes, as a float as it is, it's not because of the billionaires here in Manhattan who are no. keeping the lights on and cleaning the floors in these buildings. Yeah. That is correct. Right.
1: And 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 the poor who who have a boot on their neck as they're kept on the lowest rungs of the economic ladder, that he will work every day, I think, to take that boot off their neck.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and they may never become quote wealthy. But they will. The suffering will end. Mm-hmm. The suffering and a suffering. Alex is being done in your name and my name and everybody else. If you are an American citizen and you're paying your taxes, right? It's being it's being done in our name, and I want it stopped. Sure. I'm gonna. I going st- i do not want it done in my name anymore. And I, I, I just, um, you know, I, um, I've had it.
0: But I mean, all all of this is to say and about what you're saying too is that. It's just not the solution to have random people with the power to fix things while the majority does not have the power to save their own lives, to fix their situation so they feel like they can live with dignity. I mean, and this is the key argument for a universal program like universal healthcare, is that we can't rely on, you know, GoFundMes and Michael Moores and Bernie Sanders to here and there be able to pick and choose winners and losers when we know that means life or death. That's just fundamentally both anti-democratic, but also wrong. No one should be have that power while others lack it, right? And so I think the argument is that, you know, the state is an institution through which we collectively can make sure no one is slipping through the cracks, right? right. And so that's what we want. <clears throat> now, the side benefit is, of course, that you're not going to be hearing as many horror stories, but, I mean, it just speaks to you're a good witness to how widespread these problems are and how unsustainable it is to have people begging individuals with fame or money or in office for individual help. We just know that's not enough, right? We know everybody can't be helped unless we're doing it universally all at once, right? And so I think that's not just an argument for universal healthcare, but for all sorts of things in this country. Um, And I'm not surprised that you can't walk down the street without hearing a horror story because, again, a lot of people are suffering in this country and they feel that there are very few prominent people or people that they might recognize on the street who would care about them. So, I mean, this is to your credit again, that, you know, you have very consistently been on the right side of these things for a long time.
1: Yeah. It's funny. I never looked at it that way, (laughs) but I, um, you know, I think I was just, I was raised in a situation and now that my, both of my parents are gone, I miss them uh, more and more, certainly more than I did when they were alive. <laughs> you know, you always wish they'd you'd, uh, called more, done more. But my, um, you know, I was raised by a dad who grew up in the poor side of Flint, Michigan, and uh, his parents had seven kids, and it got to the point during the Great Depression that they couldn't afford all seven kids to take care of them so they had to put my dad and uh, his brother uh, Lorney, um uh, in an orphanage mm. uh where he spent his I think 4th and 5th grade uh in this uh orphanage and i have no idea the impact that must have had on him and um but i i know who he was and i know the good soul that he was and how he raised myself and my sisters to um, care about uh, the person who didn't have what we had,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: he, by that time, of course, as an adult, he had a good union job at General Motors, and uh, so we had all the privileges of of that. Uh, but they really weren't privileges; they were things that he, my uncle, was in the sit down strike that founded uh, the UAW in Flint. Sure. So they were um, won through struggles, right? I mean, ab- they they were won, they won them themselves. Struggles. Nothing was ever given, right, by the corporation. Sure. Um, and, um, and frankly, the, uh, the machine gun, uh, bunkers that had been set up by uh, General Motors and the national guard at, at that strike in the thirties, they were set up to mow down the workers and Mm -hmm. only with a last minute call from the president, Franklin Roosevelt, Mm -hmm. where he told the governor of Michigan, you better not fucking fire those guns on those workers. Did they all get to live? And um, but but you know, so occasionally, the a a kind trader of the wealthy class uh, will step in to do something good. But for the people listening to this, if you're wondering, you know, this this where we need to get, I'm not going to bring you there, and Alex isn't going to bring you there and even Bernie himself can't bring you there. We're only going there if we're all getting in the same bus mm-hmm. to get there, if we're all gonna be in the same march, the same <clears throat> movement, and I, um, I can't stress this enough. that yeah. you, The important point that you've made here um, is so important that this will not happen on its own. And yes, I know you're busy, and I, all of you listening to this, you're it's life is hard; it's a struggle. Um, uh, more than half the country is living paycheck to paycheck, you know, um, and yet the only way out of this is for all of us to band together. Mm-hmm. And we we don't have we don't have another four years to either risk four years of Trump or four years of a Democrat that isn't going to take us out of that, which gave us Trump. So, so deal with whatever it is you have to deal with regarding Bernie, but I don't see any other way out of this. And I, I have a true belief that if we band it together, that, that things are going to get better. Um,
0: They have to, right? They have to, they have to.
1: And that's, That's why the optimist that still has a small little flicker of a flame in me.
0: Good, good. I'm not here to turn you into a pessimist though. I think I'm having that effect on you.
1: Well, no, no, that's okay. Because no, it's, I didn't know you were going to do this to me, today, (laughs) but no, I need, I still need to be challenged and I still need to, um, pick myself up because, you know, this isn't easy. It hasn't been easy. And, um, you know, I've had to overcome any of a number of roadblocks that have been put in front of me. Um, and someday there are other stories, maybe I'll tell them on this podcast, about, you know, what has happened over the years, what I've come to learn from people, um, what Carl Rove did, to tr- what he tried to do to me, when Fahrenheit nine eleven came out in 2004 hmm. and they were facing an election that they thought this film was going to ruin their chances. And, you know, there's just so many of these stories I've yet to tell that I will tell in part, cause you've encouraged me today. I mean, well, I spoke, what had to, I said what had to be said about Biden and Elizabeth Warren. Sure. Um,
0: And you've I mean, you have endorsed Sanders and I imagine are somewhat on the campaign trail for him at this point. right? Yes.
1: No. And I will go to Iowa and I will go uh, to New Hampshire. But I also want people to know who are listening to this and who subscribe to the podcast. This is not the Bernie podcast. Uh, There are two of them. There's uh, feel the burn (laughs) and hear the burn. (laughs)
0: And oh, are there two of them? I don't think I realized. I know one is the Sanders campaigns.
1: Yes, podcast. Okay. that's that's well, that's uh, Brianna. Yes, that with hear the burn. But I think David Sirota. Uh, ah, okay. He has a thing he sends out every day called Feel the Burn. Wow. But I think he's now doing a podcast. I should ch- I'll check into that. It's but it's impossible
0: I, to keep track of podcasts. I mean, yeah. this is the universal rule of podcasts. If I made
1: a mistake like just throwing <laughs> my hat into this podcast.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Ring, I don't have a uh, podcast. I'm the only person I you know without a podcast. the only one without
1: a podcast. That's right. Where where did you grow up? Where are you from?
0: I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania.
1: Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah. And uh what does that mean?
0: It means a lot um to me. Um but I think in general, I mean, there's an affinity I to Flint, for example, as far as a union town, which even though it's not a union town anymore, and that's fully just like this cultural identity at this point, um, it's shaped quite literally the entire city. The, these working class struggles, you can drive around Pittsburgh and you get to see you can stop by where the homestead strike happened. Yeah, the
1: monuments are yeah, all there.
0: Everything mm. is, you know, my middle school was named after Frick. The libraries mm. are named after Carnegie. Mm. Um The university is the same thing. And so, you know, it's there's the sense of history and class struggle and class conflict that shaped Pittsburgh, I think, to me, means a lot. And I think still means a lot to a lot of people in Pittsburgh, because there's just a sense of what could be and what people's grandparents or fathers or mothers, what their lives were like, and then what things are like without those unions now both economically and materially, but also socially and culturally that people, I mean, Western Pennsylvania, like much of the country is being ravaged by the opiate crisis mm. and plenty of people I grew up with are addicted to opiates. And there's just not a lot of hope in a, for a lot of people. Um, and I think to me, part of the tragedy of Donald Trump's election was about places like Pittsburgh and the loss of unions. In the past, people would have encountered these left-wing arguments that, say, Sanders was making, that we make at Jacobin. They would have encountered people like us in their unions, right? And that was a mass base. The same way your movies are actually seen by a mass number of people. I mean, as much as we try at Jacobin, we don't have that audience of millions and millions. Unions did have that reach. They were a part of the community. And so there was a sense that you could sort of make... A connection to another person and sort of get a sense of hope and a sense that things could be different. And when I went back to Pittsburgh and was talking to people and sort of these, I mean, my parents live in sort of the Italian American neighborhood that um, is still very working class. Um, and I would just hang out at the dives. You can smoke in all the bars in Pittsburgh. They're truly divy. Um, and I would talk to people and make, we would talk about the election because it was during, you know, it was the lead up to the election that I was home. And They'd never met a socialist before, and we would be still on the same page for about 80% of the conversation. But they just at the end fundamentally wouldn't believe that what I was saying could happen because they'd never heard the argument before. So it was just me. Right. And to me, it was a real tragedy because some of those people did vote for Trump because they knew that what we had wasn't working. And they were quite right because people don't have good paying jobs in Pittsburgh. People have entire communities ravaged by drug addiction in Pittsburgh. So they're right that the status quo doesn't work. And really, the loss of unionism to me and the, the sort of decline of the labor movement is the tragedy that leads to something like Trump rather than mm-hmm. working class people. Right. Staying where they were, which used to be, you know, unions were a huge um, marker for more progressive views or left wing views um, because there were these socializing instincts where you were forced to talk to people different than yourselves right. and realize your collective power. Right. Um, and so. It's why I write about the labor movement. I'm, you know, the shop steward of my union here at Jacobin, and I'm on the executive board at the News Guild. And I just think there's no substitute for rebuilding that mass and that hope among the average person in the United States. Um, Unions are insufficient, but they're necessary. So Pittsburgh means, as you can imagine, quite a lot to me now.
1: Right, obviously. And and if somebody listening to this wants to try to start a union at their workplace, Mm. where do you send them to just find out about this, how to do this?
0: You know, there's a real dearth of resources. I would say that beyond the obvious, which is that the first thing you need to do is start talking to your coworkers and you don't start with, do you want a union? But you start with what are, what problems are you having at this job? You know, you really have to listen to people because no matter how smart you might be, you do not know everybody's problems, even if you're, you think you do. Um, but one, there's so there's a real dearth of good writing and resources about this. Um, I would say there are two things I would love to recommend for people at home. One is Labor Notes, which is a publication, but also sort of an organizing formation of union people. They have a conference every two years. I think the one this year is coming up in April in Chicago. Um, and it's sort of like leftists and rank and file workers who want to democratize their unions and sort of um, push for. Um, more progressive or left-wing and higher benefits, all of these things, right? These great things. Um, And so they're a good source because a lot of times they have rank and file workers themselves writing about workplace problems. So in a media ecosystem that is so lacking in working-class writers and sort of a sense of what those communities look like and what a struggle at a slaughterhouse in, um, I don't know, the Southwest looks like, you know, Labor Notes can fill that need. And I also would recommend... Um, this writer Jane McAlevey, who um, was a longtime union organizer with SEIU, the um, eh, one of the biggest unions in the United States, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, and um, she is working quite tirelessly in a way that I find, you know, is quite congruent to our project at Jacobin, but also what I do as a labor writer um, in taking the skills she had from union organizing and trying to basically organized via the written word, right? So she has these books that just sort of lay out common anti-union arguments and debunk them. She has stories of Mm. when we hear so much about how unions can't win anymore, she recounts her first book is basically a memoir of her first few years in the labor movement, and she's recounting these struggles that her union won against immense odds. And so I find her a really useful, I mean, a useful first person to be doing that, Yep. I think we need many many people writing things like that um and beyond all those things bits of advice I would say of course you then contact the union and you say hey me and my coworkers have x y and z problems are you interested in talking to us um but yeah
1: that's how you start and there'll be organizers there whether it's SEIU or whether it's yes, Unite so or whether it's
0: the um the argument we were making about you can't have a leader deliver everything for you that applies within unions as well so while unions will help you hopefully with certain legal stuff, maybe they'll pay for your pizza at meetings. Again, it's all about you and your coworkers. Right. And so sometimes they won't be interested and sometimes it's unfair that you feel like we, but we're ready to organize and unionize here, but they can't do anything without you really taking control yourself first. And so I would just really encourage the talking with coworkers way before you start worrying about talking to another sort of institution like a union itself. Um, Yeah.
1: So if people want to read your writings, Mm. uh, they can do that through Jacobin magazine and Jacobin, if you need to spell it is Jacob, I N right. Jacob in or Jacobin as it's uh, pronounced. And um, And while
0: everyone thinks it's about it's named after the French Revolution, the Jacobins, it's actually a CLR James book about the Haitian Revolution called the Black Jacobins, um, which was this I recommend to everyone to read. Um, But it's an amazing story. The again, self liberation of enslaved people.
1: Well, this is an amazing magazine that you help edit. Thank you. And uh, you have an important voice. And um, I encourage people to follow you, uh, to read uh, your writings and the other people at Jacobin. And um, and what are you going to be doing uh, in this uh, coming year to as part of this movement, you yourself?
0: That's a good question. Um, I mean, I do stuff in the sense of there's DSA and there's the union organizing aspect. And then there's my career in writing and editing and stuff. So I'll be still doing all of that. I think I have a book that I'm starting to think about as far as Um, writing goes. But what I'm doing, um, I'm trying to keep building. I mean, so in the News Guild, I should say, we just um, had new leadership take over both in New York and at the international level of the union. Um, And so there's massive change afoot within journalists themselves who have been unionizing at an immense rate. Um, Just it's hard to describe how quickly this is happening. Um, So we're trying to build unions. We're trying to actually um, get the sort of power that would be necessary to make the changes we need. Right. Starts in the workplace. It starts in our communities. So I will keep doing that, but um, people can also read my writing all over the place. Just search my name or find me on Twitter, I guess.
1: Okay. Yeah. Please do that. Everyone listening to this, we've been uh, talking uh, with Alex press and, um, um, and I hope you come back on.
0: uh, Absolutely. I would love to.
1: My podcast uh, here. Uh, It's called rumble rumble with michael moore and <laughs> um um we've got quite the rumble coming up here in the next 12 months so yeah uh, i encourage everybody to be a participant uh, in that uh, thank you very much alex
0: thank you so much we
1: come to see the wizard the wonderful wizard of Oz. we hear he is the wizard of oz if ever a wiz there was if ever oh ever a wiz there was the wizard of Oz has one because 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 of the wonderful things he does We're off to see the wizard The wonderful wizard of life